<laughs> We're just thinking. That's amazing. That's their dilemma, right? Well, let's talk about today. I want to begin by telling you a story about a man in Holland. And this man in Holland felt that he needed to confess his sins. And so he went to a local priest in, in Holland. And he said, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. During World War II, I hid a Jew up in my attic. And the priest said, well, that's certainly not a sin. And he said, well, I charged him 20 bucks a week while he was up there. And the man said, or the priest said, well, that wasn't good, but it wasn't a sin per se. And you probably had good cause. After all, you had a family to provide for. And the man said, well, that may be true, Father, but I haven't told him yet that the war is over. That's a problem, amen? And here's the reason that I tell you that story. How many times have you made a half-hearted confession of your sin to God? Don't raise your hands. If you're like me, Sadly, it's happened many times where I confessed it one minute before the week was out. I'm back doing the same behavior again. That's what I want to talk to you about today is confession of sin. It seems that most people find it very easy to identify flaws in other people but when it comes time to facing up to their own shortcomings and sins, they find it incredibly difficult. Now that Nehemiah is finished rebuilding the premises around Jerusalem, he continues to follow God's lead in rebuilding the people. As bad as Jerusalem's walls were, and they were bad, the people within the walls were worse. And as a result of their sin, their fellowship with God was very distant, to say the best. They needed to recapture their spiritual lives. They needed to rediscover the important things that made their relationship with God so special. Things like Confession of sin. Worship. Obedience. Thankfulness. All these things were very, very important. Now in the last two installments of God's blueprint to rebuild His church and your life, Nehemiah has directed God's people, first of all, to get back to the book. But second of all, to start getting serious about obedience. As Nehemiah had the priest Ezra to proclaim God's word to the people, something happened. They listened intently. And as they were listening to Ezra proclaim the word of God, they began to appreciate God all the more. And they began to understand God's purpose for their lives. And their purpose began to grow. And they began to impact more and more people. 
So today we find that when we have the courage to hear God's word, when we have the courage to obey the word of God, one thing will happen always. We will respond with genuine sorrow over our sin. I want to begin Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 1 and just read a couple four verses here to give you a little background about what's going on. Uh, as you know, we are uh, reading from Nehemiah's journal. He has been keeping a journal of all that's been going on as he has rebuilt God's premises and is in the process of rebuilding God's people. And here's what happens in verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners and they stood. And here's what they did. You ready? You ready to say amen? They stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth of the day, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Now I want you to see the connection there. The connection between confessing our sins and worship of God. They go hand in hand. Verse 4. Then Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Bunny, Sherebiah, Bani, and Shanani stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Now, when we read and when we hear God's word, our lifestyle should be challenged. There's always going to be an area of your lifestyle that should be challenged when you read, hear, and strive to obey the word of God. God's word actually helps us. It helps us to realize that in one way or another, you are likely missing the mark of God's glory. In one way or another, there is probably some way that you are neglecting your God-given purpose, and it's time for you to get back on track. This is the very thing that happened to these Jewish people in Jerusalem. By fasting and by dressing in prickly sackcloth, they were deliberately making themselves uncomfortable because they realized that they had failed God. They had failed God. And as I consider the actions of God's people then, I'm led to ask myself a question. How concerned am I about my own sin? I find it easy to point out the sins of others. But how concerned am I about my own sin? You see, God's people must have courage. Courage to confess our sins to God. It does take courage because it ain't fun. Because often we like to label sin as just a flaw. Man, it's just one of my hang-ups, right? It's just who I am. Take me or leave me, that's who I am. We like to label sin as a boo-boo. Oh, man, I made a boo-boo. We try to label sin as just 
mistake. Just made a mistake. We take disobedience and we tend to take it very lightly. Not understanding how God looks at our sin. We say things like, I'm only human. What do you expect from me? Perfection? Or we try to excuse it by saying, well, it's just a small sin. Anybody ever said that? Say amen, all of you. Amen. It's just a small sin. But here's the truth. No matter how small that sin may seem to you, that small sin offends God. Because He is perfect. He is righteous. And He is just. But when we have the courage to confess our sin, when we have the courage to confess this sin that always, always deforms us in some way, it always messes us up in one way or another, it always takes us further from the fellowship with God that He designed us to enjoy, when we have the courage to hear God's Word and confess our sins, we'll start seeing God as He truly is. I fear even Christians struggle with knowing exactly who God is. Right? We know Him mentally, but we don't understand the magnitude of God. We don't see Him as He truly is. Furthermore, we'll also see sin from God's perspective. And we'll see how much even that small sin offends Him. And when we do, when you see God as He truly is, and when you see your sin from His perspective, you will always be led to confess your sin because you want to be right with your Maker. Throughout Nehemiah chapter 9 today, we're going to see five truths about God that become evident when we are willing to confess our sins. Five truths about God that will become clear to you when you're willing to confess your sins. As we consider this lengthy prayer, and that's what chapter 9 basically is, is a wonderful, wonderful prayer. But as we consider this prayer, it teaches us much about God. Maybe some things you've forgotten. So let's look at the first truth about God that becomes evident as we become willing to confess our sins. And that is... It's evident to me that God's position is over me. God's position is over me. Let's continue reading in verse 5. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Peraniah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. That's his position, get it? Which is exalted above all. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserved them all. You didn't just make them, but you preserved them and you provide for them. You sustain them. The host of heaven worships you. So before he, the prayer even begins good, they tell the people, 
It's time. It's time to take a stand and bless the Lord your God. I think that's one thing that revivals do really well. It reminds us that it's time. It's time for us to take a stand and bless the Lord our God. And in so doing, we recognize here that God is the God of the entire universe. He has no rivals. No one can compare with the God of all creation. He's it. And His position is over us. I read this story about this one Sunday school teacher who began her class with a question. And she asked, boys and girls, what is it that we know about God? One hand immediately shot up and a little boy said, well, we know that God is an artist. And the teacher said, really? Well, how do we know that? And the little boy said, you know, our father who does art in heaven. Duh. Right? Listen, he is our creative creator God. He is God of all creation. He does art in heaven and he does art on earth. Amen. When was the last time you saw some of those beautiful sunsets and sunrises? Amen. He does art in heaven and on earth. But here's my question. Why in the world would God find himself competing with other inferior, lesser things that his people put before him. If his position is over us, if he is God of all creation with no rivals, why are we putting lesser things before him? You see, when we replace God with other priorities, we're making God less important. And we're all guilty of that from time to time. When we prioritize prosperity, when we prioritize pleasure or power, we're basically making God less significant in our lives. But listen, since our God has no rival, there's no one who can compare with God. Let us confess that sin. And acknowledge that He is God and nothing is going to take the place of our number one priority. He's it. Period. Everything else follows Him. God's position is over us. He is the Creator and we are the created. Amen. So let's make sure that we understand His position over us. But the second truth about God that becomes crystal clear when you're willing to confess your sin, and that is God's promise to us. Not only God's position over us, but God's promise to us. In verse 7, the scriptures say, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant, a promise. You made a promise with him. And you gave the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Gergesites, and all those other ites. Amen. Somebody say amen. To give it to his descendants, you have performed your words. You've kept your promise. For you are righteous. You see, friend, at creation, 
God didn't just create and stop. No, God continues to work, although the creation itself is basically accomplished, but He continues to work, and He continues to work even in our world today. As these Levites continue to pray, they point out this example of Abraham. And specifically, they point out the covenant, the promise that God made with Abraham to be a man who would make an impact on this world. Can I tell you that God wants you to make an impact on your world? That's His promise to you. And if you yield to Him, He'll do that through you. He'll make an impact on the world through you. God does what He says He's going to do. And so God promised Abraham that through him, the entire world would be blessed. And this problem is as true now as it was then. God still does what God says He will do. God blessed the world with many godless descendants through Abraham. But God also provided us a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And He did it through Abraham's line. So we are blessed with a Savior. See, even when God's Word says that you're doing everything right. Even when God says through His Word that you're going the wrong way. Either way, we can trust Him because His promise is good. He's going to do what He says He's going to do. So let's confess our sin. That sin when we sometimes distrust God. Have you ever done that? You may not have said it, but in your actions, you basically just said, God, I don't trust you. Maybe an attitude says, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you'll keep your promise this time. But let us confess our sin and recognize that when God makes a promise, He keeps it. Always. Let's look at a third truth about God that becomes evident when we confess our sin. And that is God's passion for us. Now I want you to bear with me because I want to go through the bulk of this prayer here. But I want you to hear the heart of these people who love God. Listen to verse 9. They pray, You saw the mercy of our fathers in Egypt. You heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against the people of the land. You knew that they had acted proudly against them. And so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone in the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and you spoke with your people from heaven and you gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath. You commanded them precepts and statutes and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water out of a rock for their thirst. You told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly. They hardened their necks and they did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion 
They appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor did the pillar of fire by night to show them the light and the way that they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, y'all, you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts so that they took possession of the land of Sahon and the land of the king of Heshbon and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of the heaven and brought them into the land which you have told their fathers to go in and possess. And so the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of their land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and rich land. They possessed houses full of goods, cisterns, wells that were already dug, and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. And they ate and they were filled and they grew fat. And they delighted themselves in your great goodness. Y'all, I don't know how God does it. I don't know how God does it. He continually pours out His passion on His people, even when they are so aggravating. Amen? You love your kid even though they're aggravating. Amen? Somebody say amen. God always works His justice, His holiness, His love, and His mercy in perfect combination. Perfect combination. Throughout biblical history, God poured out His passion on His people. You heard it, what they were praying for. They, he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He declared the ten plagues on the Pharaoh. He declared and split the Red Sea and allowed his people to walk through on dry land while the enemies got drowned in the deep. He led them by cloudy pillar by day and by fiery pillar at night. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and God provided manna, bread from heaven for them to eat and actually made water come out of a rock so that they could have something for their thirst. When they made a molded calf and they called it God, He never, ever forsook them. He never did. And then for 40 years, God led them through the wilderness and they had no need. And then finally, God brought them to a promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. The perfect place for imperfect people. Now one would think that through all that that God had done for them, 
God's people would serve him like he deserves to be served. But we know that that's not the case, don't we? But before we get too down on these poor little Israelites, let's consider our own history for a second. Let's consider how often have you confessed the same sin over and over and over. I will not gossip, Lord. I recognize that you don't like it, so I ain't doing it no more. Somebody say amen. I'm not going to think ill will towards somebody who's done me wrong ever again, Lord. And then what do you know? The next week, you're provided with another opportunity. How often have we confessed the same sins over and over again? How often has your attitude been, God, what have you done for me lately? That's the attitude that God's people had. Throughout biblical history, God had had his hand on his people. And it was like they were saying, but God, what did you do for me today? When we consider how incredibly good God has been to us, you think that you and I, we'd be super servants, amen? But we know that's not the case. Instead, we often complain, we grumble, we rebel, and we sin. We think, ah, God ain't looking. We think, ah, God's just being unfair. We think, maybe God has turned his back on me. But sometimes we just have to recognize that the truth of the matter is this. Sometimes we're just ungrateful people. Yet God's passion, God's love, and God's mercy always prevails. So when we come off as ungrateful for all that God has done in our life, and if you started making a list today, you'd still be writing on that list when you took your last breath. But when we come off as ungrateful, when we repeat that same old sin over and over and over and over again, when we rebel against God, when we're disobedient, let's confess that. Let's confess that for what it is. It's us being ungrateful. So let's... Confess our ungratefulness and live in the love of God. Now I want to give you a fourth truth about God that becomes crystal clear when you and I become willing to confess our sin. And that is God's patience with us. Verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and they rebelled against you, cast your law behind their back. And killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they work great provocations. Provocations are just basically ways that we're picking on God trying to get him to get mad at us. Amen. Great provocations. 
Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers. Remember the series we preached on the book of Judges? Right? God continually was sending deliverers to the people to free them from captivity, etc. You sent them judges who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. And when they returned and cried out to you, O God, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. But they acted proudly. And they did not heed your commandments. But sinned against your judgments. Which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their, sho- their shoulders. Said so. So. They stiffened their necks and they would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and you testified against them by your spirit and your prophets yet they would not listen therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands nevertheless in your great mercy you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them for you are God you are gracious and you are merciful see throughout history throughout his story Amen. Throughout history, God's people have just not been a very loyal bunch. But still, God's been patient with them. Many times, His people ignored Him. They deliberately defied Him. And when God sent prophets, they killed them because they didn't want to listen to them. But still... God was patiently faithful even while they were persistently unfaithful. In spite, friend, of our disobedience, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of us provoking God to anger, He still remains doggedly faithful to His people. Although people can hardly bear to forgive that kind of betrayal even one time, God forgives it Time after time after time after time. So let us confess that sin. Let us confess that sin of unfaithfulness. Realizing this. Y'all listen and say amen. God ain't letting go. You hearing me? God ain't going to let go of you. He will not let go of you. So you might as well give in. You might as well give in because God is far more patient than you are persistent. So you might as well give in because the whole story of God's grace is man sins and God saves. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'd have burned this down a long time ago. Man sins. God saves. Let's give in because God ain't letting go. And that leads us to the fifth and final truth about God that becomes crystal clear 
when we are willing to confess our sins. And that is God's pursuit after us. In verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, awesome God, who keeps covenant, who keeps his promise and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and prophets, our fathers and all your people. From the days of the kings of Assyria unto this day, however you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom, nor in the many good things that you have given them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. So here we are, slaves. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave our fathers to eat its fruit and bounty, here we are, slaves in it, in the land. And it yields much increase to the king's, The kings you've set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. I want you to know that God deliberately pursues you. He deliberately pursues you in the hopes that you will turn away from your sin, that you will turn away from your rebellion, and you will turn to His compassion and to His incredible purpose for your life. That's His desire. And He will do whatever He has to do to get you to turn. Even if you deem that to be something bad in your life. Because God loves you, Because God loves you so incredibly, He does not and will not give up on you. These people in Jerusalem were being driven back to God, not out of wrath or punishment. They were being driven back to God because of the promise of His everlasting love. God used all their trouble. God used all of their tribulation. God used all of their captivity the same way He uses ours. The same way He uses my trouble and your trouble to drive us into His loving arms. That's another perspective to have when you're going through the the hot water, amen? Just remember that regardless of how bad it hurts, One thing for sure, God wants you back in his arms. Listen, no matter what kind of difficulty you're going through, one thing you can be absolutely sure of is that God wants you to run to him. He'll never let you go. God will never stop pursuing you. So you may as well allow yourself to get caught because he's not giving up. And when we come clean, about the ways that we're disobeying God, when we come clean about the ways that we're rebelling against His will, when we come clean about the ways that we're falling short of His glory, we will realize God's position is over us. We will realize that God has made a promise to us 
to save us through Christ. We'll realize God's passion for us and that God is infinitely patient with us. But we'll also understand that God will never, ever stop pursuing us. When we understand who God is, when we start seeing our sin from His perspective, we'll realize that sin is not something to be trifled with. I mentioned at the beginning that we often attempt to make sin a whole lot less than what it really is. We make excuses and we try to justify our sins. But listen, when you understand who God is, you realize I better not play around with sin. Because sin has consequences. So today is not a time to be half-hearted when it comes to the sin of the man or woman you saw in the mirror this morning. It's not the time to be half-hearted. This is the time to get real, y'all. As we're leading up to this revival... That's the first thing that's got to happen. We've got to get concerned about our own sin. We've got to get real about what's going on in our own lives. And when you find something there that's not in keeping with God's law, then it's time to confess. It's time to be specific. Don't just say, forgive my sins. No. You know what it is, and God knows what it is. So when you go before Him, you got to get real. You got to get specific. And you got to confess that sin and be willing to turn away from it. That way you can be set on the right path. And you can begin enjoying a fellowship that you were designed to have with God. So let's get real today. Let's courageously confess our sins, for God alone is worthy of our worship. God alone should be our number one priority. And if he's not, that should be a sin you should confess today. God, you have not been number one. And I want you to be number one in my life. Let's get serious. Let's get real this morning. And let's be willing to courageously confess our sin. That, Lord, I have placed foolish rivals before you. And I ain't doing it no more. Let's courageously confess our sin. For we serve a God that has promised us that His passion for us knows no bounds. Let's courageously confess our sin. For God is patient with us and He persistently pursues us. He keeps coming. Keeps doing whatever He has to do to get us to come to Him. So friend, I pray that today... You will use this service as a precedent. In a moment, Brother Howe and the praise team are going to lead us in a a decision song. And it's a great opportunity for you to come to this altar and get real. To get right with God. I'll be glad to pray with you if you desire that. Maybe you just need a little personal one-on-one time with the Lord. This is a great time for that.
in response to the word that's been preached today. Use this week, y'all, to get your heart right. Because if there is a whole lot of sin in here, then there's going to be a whole lot of sin in here, and God ain't bringing revival. God is not going to use a filthy instrument. Amen? He wants that instrument to be clean, empty of self, and ready to be filled with the Spirit of God. Use this opportunity to get yourself right. Let's prepare by setting aside our wandering hearts, making God number one, and be willing Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that revival, so that revival.